Thank you for joining us today. The Word of God provides everything we need throughout our earthly existence. There is absolutely nothing that has, is, or will occur in our lives that is not covered by the blood of Jesus. Our sovereign God loves us so much that He created us in His own image and sacrificed His only begotten sinless Son to cover all of our sins. When we surrender our all to Him, we begin to experience the greatest love of all and become recipients of eternal life. Listen with Bible pen and paper handy as Pastor Rander ministers to us today. Let's pray as we prepare to preach the gospel. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the precious privilege of preaching. Who am I to stand? I stand in humility and thanksgiving before you. God, you are such a great God. Without you, we could do nothing. Father, embolden me, prepare me now. Help me to preach in the power of the Spirit. You've been so good to me. I cannot do this message without you. Anoint me now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. We want you to turn your Bibles, open your Bibles and turn to the passage as found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. We're still dealing with the church. Uh, and we're, uh, we've been preaching from the subject. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of God entitled, I'm glad to be back in God's house. And all of this is interconnected. And so since we're preaching on the church, we want to transition to another title or theme as it still relates to, uh, the church. The scripture says in Matthew 16, 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. And from this passage of scripture, we want to preach the anatomy of the church, the anatomy of the church. When God says, and I also say to you, Peter, that you are Peter. And on this rock, he was not talking about Peter being the rock. He was talking about the statement, the declaration that Peter made. If you read a few verses up, Jesus asked the disciples questions. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. It was on that statement that Jesus said on that declaration, (laughs) I will build my church. And I also say to you that you are Peter, uh, which means stone. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, death, even death itself cannot stop the Lord's church, shall not prevail against it. When we think of the word anatomy, we think of the structure of the human body. And the same is true for the spiritual body of the Lord's church. The church is a living spiritual organism that has structure. The church is organization. It is, it has organization. It has to be organized. It is not defined as an organization, but you have to have organization within the structure of the church. Within the church, there must be governance. In the church, there must be order. And in the church, there must be purpose. If you were to ask many saints, what is the purpose of the church? I can imagine you would get a variety of answers. 
There are believers who have been saved for many years who do not know the structure of the church or her mission on earth. The church was ordained by God. The church was created by God. The church was established by the Lord of which he is the great head. She belongs to Christ exclusively. Therefore, the intent of this message is to get believers to understand the anatomy of the church, the purpose of the church, the mission of the church, so we as his children can be united together in one spirit and one purpose as we carry out the great cause of Christ on earth. It's, I'm amazed that uh, there are members, the are people who have been a part of the church for many, many years, 10, 20, 40 years, and don't know the mission, the purpose, the anatomy of the church. What is the church? What is the church? The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which is defined as an assembly. It is defined as a called out ones. The church was born on the day of Pentecost, according to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The church is a community of all believers who are born again. The church is a community of all believers who are born again. It's a community of believers that have been redeemed. The church is indwelt by the Spirit of God. The church is sealed by the Spirit of God. The church is baptized by God the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 also says, In him, him, pronoun for Christ, in Christ you also trust after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the church? Number one, the purpose of the church is to teach biblical doctrine. The purpose of the church is to teach biblical doctrine. In Acts chapter 2 verse 42 A, it says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. God holds his church responsible for teaching sound biblical doctrine so we can be well grounded in our faith. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like little children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever. They sound like the truth. Proverbs 4.2 says, for I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instructions. Anyone who abandons sound biblical teaching does so to his or her own peril. Matthew 16.18 also says, I will build my church. The Lord says, I will. The church hadn't been born yet, and Jesus was talking uh, in the very near future. Uh, The church will be established, as we have just seen a few Sundays ago, uh, on the the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And God begins to build his church from that point on. So he says, I will build my church. Jesus has the ownership of his church. The church belongs to no man. The church belongs to no pope. The church belongs to no, to, to, to no ruling, governing, spiritual authority. 
Christ will build his church through strong, sound biblical teaching to why does he build his why is he building his church to win lost souls for Christ? And as we look at society and as we look at what's going on in America, we need the the church to be about witnessing and reaching for, for Christ. The church is to sanctify his people. The purpose of the church is to sanctify his people. He's building his church to sanctify his people and to glorify Christ on earth. Beloved, we do not have to compete with Christ. I, I don't have to sit here and say, you know what? Uh, I, I'm praying that the Lord will use me to build a great church. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to compete with God. <laughs> I, I can't build the church. The, the Lord, I need to just use the biblical principles, the pattern that God has already given. He will build the church as I adhere to sound biblical principles from the word of God. Beloved, we do not have to compete with Christ when it comes to building his church. But rather, we are co-laborers with him to fulfill the purpose of the church. We don't compete with God. We co-labor with God. There's a distinct difference there. So the first purpose of the church is to teach biblical doctrine. The second principle of the church, the purpose of the church is to provide a place of fellowship for believers. The purpose of the church is to provide a place of fellowship for believers. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, which means sharing. Koinonia means partnership, or koinonia means to have in common with one another. Those who receive Jesus Christ become partners with him and other believers. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it gives us a beautiful picture of fellowship demonstrated by the believing community at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 says, And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions in good and divided them among all. As anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness. The church was glad. The early church was glad. They didn't come in looking like they were baptized in lemon juice. They didn't come in looking at each other cross-eyed and looking mean, having rocks in their jaws, just thinking up stuff. They, they, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Life circumstances uniquely affect people differently, yet God's love, grace, and mercy are limitless. The good news is God's word is uniquely sufficient. He knows what to do in every situation. He made us and he knows us better than we know ourselves. The Bible tells us to trust him, lean on him, and to acknowledge him. Whether it's a success, a setback, or a failure, no matter what it is, God will order our steps when we depend on him and him alone to uniquely perform his good and perfect work within us. Listen as Pastor Rander continues. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added, when when all of this was being done according to uh, the biblical pattern of the church, what happens? And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now the Lord not going to add to anything. The Lord is not going to add to mess. The Lord is not going to add to gossip and backbiting and fighting and agenda-driven churches. 
the works of the flesh will hinder God adding to his church, souls to his church. So, beloved, this is what a genuine Christ-centered healthy church should look like. A divided, fragmented church cannot affect our nation for righteousness. Jesus himself placed a high value on unity as he prayed to the Father that the church would be one as he and the Father are one. John 17, chapter 20, verse 21a says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one. Jesus prayed for the unity of the church that was to come. And he prayed that they would be one because he knew Satan was going to do everything in his power. You say we use everything in his dis- at his disposal to keep the church from being united, to keep the church from being harmonized, to keep the church from being one to the glory of God. Because a church that's unified in purpose and mission can do great work for the kingdom of God and great damage against the kingdom of darkness that belongs to Satan. What keeps the church unified and in a spirit of oneness? What keeps the church unified and in a spirit of oneness? A, you cannot promote unity if your heart is troubled. Your heart is all mean, bitter, angry, depressed. You cannot promote unity with your heart being troubled and angry and bitter. John 14, 1 says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe God. God is the one that removes anger and bitterness, hurt pain, betrayal, injustice, and all these things. Keep on believing God. Believe in me. Believe Christ through the issues of life. Keeping your eyes on Jesus and trusting him through the adversities of life calms a troubled heart. I say it again. Keeping your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him through the adversities of life calms a troubled heart. It matters not what this nation go through. It matters not what you go through, whether it's sickness or health or children issues, grandchildren issues, financial issues, uh, trying to find yourself in this wicked world, trying to figure out what God wants you to do at this season of your life. Let me tell you something. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You will make it through the calamities of life, the trials of life. The the troubles of this world be what keeps uh, the church united and in a spirit of oneness. What keeps the church unified is when believers seek the interests of others and not themselves. What keeps the church unified is when uh, believers seek the interests of others and not themselves. Philippians 2, 4 says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. We, we cannot be self-centered or me-centered. We have to be other-centered. Satan loves to prompt believers to promote themselves. I say it again. Satan loves to prompt believers all in the church at large, the church universal, all over the world to promote themselves, to tear down the church, to structure the mission of the church. Just get a, a lot of self-promoters in the church and you will, ha- you will wreak havoc in the church. Believers who promote themselves and their personal agenda. Believers who s- seek power and influence. Believers who gossip and backbite against other saints at home, around the dinner table, in the bedroom, which keeps the church from functioning in the unity of the spirit. Don't forget that whenever you backbite and devour and gossip and 
talk about your pastor or wife or elders or deacons or coordinators or the choir or soloists or children. You talk about anything. The Lord is listening and the Lord will chasten you. Some of y'all think God is deaf. He's not deaf. We need to repent for things we say in homes, in cars, when nobody else is around. God is listening. God is listening. God is listening. What keeps the church unified and in a spirit of oneness? See, resisting the spirit of pride within believers will maintain unity and oneness in the Lord's church. Resisting the spirit of pride within believers will maintain unity and oneness in the Lord's church. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. The Lord hates a spirit of pride. It is an abomination to God. Be assured, he says, he will not or she will not go unpunished. God will chasten those who are haughty, arrogant, puffed up, and you can't tell them nothing. Can't tell them nothing. They don't want to hear uh, instruction. They're, they're bold in their arrogance. They hurt folk, run over folk, just wreak havoc in the Lord's church through an arrogant spirit. God hates pride. He hates every form of pride because it is so destructive in the church. And all sin can be traced back to pride. If you look at sin close enough, you meditate. If you look back far enough, you can see where Pride uh, was in any particular sin. Uh, What is the purpose of the church? D, believers cannot function in the unity of the church if they do not allow the Lord to tame the tongue. If you're going to maintain that unity. The purpose is to maintain unity. They were, the first church was unified. That inaugural church was on one accord. This is how you promote and preserve unity in the church. Believers cannot function in the unity of the spirit if they do not allow the Lord to tame their tongue. This is a big one. If they do not allow the Lord, oh, the tongue can tear down the unity of the spirit in the Lord's church. That book of James is a powerful little book. Sometimes you need to just dust the dust off it and just get read it. And I bless you two to one. You will fall under conviction. You cannot read the book of James and not fall under conviction. The book of James chapter 3 verse 6 and verses 8 through 10. It says, and the tongue is a fire. What does fire do? If it's out of control, it'll burn everything up in its past. It's a fire. A world of iniquity. It sins all over the place uncontrollable sin. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. That little tongue in your mouth can wreak havoc over the whole body, mess up everybody else's life. Other people are in a lifetime recovery because of that little tongue in our mouths. Defiles the whole body. Your family, your children, your grandchildren, the co-workers, uh, your neighbors. And sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Ooh, James, set on fire by hell. And much of what come out of even believers' mouths, if they think about it and analyze it, is hellish. It's hellish. But but underline this. This is powerful. But no man or no woman can tame the tongue. Oh, I can take. No, you can't. Oh, you can't, 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 can't. 
No, <laughs> no child, no man. I don't care what kind of degree you have. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how spiritual you are, all of these things. No one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil. Ooh, unruly. You can hear it all out of the streets and the protests and all these things. Stuff that's being said. Every every word is just bleep, 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 bleep. It's so much bleeping you can't understand what they're saying. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. You poison everything around you. You kill everybody. Kill. You come in the house of God or in a, in a meeting or, or in a choir or wherever you go, and you just kill the spirit. When folks see you coming, it's bad news coming because you have nothing good to say. If it's negative, you're going to find it. Not only when you find it, you're going to talk about it. Oh, my God, help me with this message. Why don't y'all say amen? It is an unruly evil, full of poison. Poison. It'll kill you. With the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father. Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. God is good. Oh, God, and pray marvelous prayers and in the church. And you set up and you get your great worship leader, give good prayers. Uh, you, you, you do all of these things and you minister with your words and people think so highly of you. Oh, when I around brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, they encourage my heart. I feel so uplifted. I feel so encouraged. I feel so blessed. And with it, we, you turn around and go home and curse men. What happened between the church house and your house? <laughs> Who have been made in the likeness, the similitude, your translation may say, likeness of God. You're talking about people who are made in the image of God, the likeness of God. You're talking about your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ. If it, my mama taught me, son, if you can't say nothing good, shout. The best thing you can pray sometimes is, Lord, help me to keep my mouth shut. Out of the, underline this, out of the same mouth. <laughs> out of the same mouth, you blessed with, praise the Lord. Oh, <laughs> Same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. Two-faced. Talking about both sides of your mouth. I love you. And you go home and stab him in the back. Look how quiet it got in here now. You're not quiet because those masks are on. You're quiet because the truth is being preached. <laughs> Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. He says, my brethren. In other words, he says, my brethren. You know what he's saying? We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We are Christians. We're saints. These things ought not be so. In other words, what in the world are you doing? You say you're spiritual, but you're acting like a baby. My friend, if you're not walking under the control of the Holy Spirit, your tongue will do great damage to others. Did you get that? 
If you are not walking under the control of the Holy Spirit, your tongue will do great damage to others. It'll split up families, tap the job, tap the church. It even tear you up. Without the whole, listen at this, without the Holy Spirit's help, it is impossible to tame the tongue. Without the Holy Spirit's help, it is absolutely impossible to tame the tongue. Therefore, before you speak, ask yourself the following questions before you even open your mouth. Oh, before I open my mouth, here's the criteria I should follow before I even open my mouth. You need to write the criteria down. It'll make you more of a blessing than a curse. Therefore, before you speak, ask yourself the following questions before you even open your mouth up to your husband. Before you open your mouth up to your wife. Before you open your mouth up to your child or your grandchild. Some children have been wiped out and they're still in in recovery even in their adulthood because of what uh, parents have said. You'd be no good. You never add up to nothing. You, you dummy. You stupid. This, listen, these are words that kill. Cipher the spirit out of people. Ask yourself the following questions. Is what I am about to say edifying to others? The word edifying. Is it going to build up? Is it going to build up? Will my words be destructive? Is it going to bring harm? Is it going to make me cry? Your words send me into, is, is, are your words going to send me into depression? Reeling into depression. Your, your words wipes out all my motivation. It's so destructive. No encouragement. No, hey, we're going to get through this. We're going to be all right. I love you. Keep doing a good job. I'm praying for you. I, I'm, I got your back. You're, you're special. I'm so glad God put you in my life. I don't know what to do. You are a blessing to the church. You are a blessing to the family. Ble- it's so much better. It's so much more heavenly. As committed children of the only true and living God, we walk by faith and not by sight. Life on earth is not easy. Yet, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, we have joy, hope, peace, strength, and God's blessed assurance as we face trials. Best yet, we look forward to hearing our Savior say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, and eternal life with our Lord and Savior. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching or would like to hear this message in its entirety, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church, located at 7855 East Loop 1604 North in Converse, Texas, or call us at 210-821-5683.